Oh, you hear that, baby? Oh, I Do you know what time it is? Are you ready? Oh, yeah, it's almost time. It's almost time. Yes. Yes, folks. It is time for Jimmy Jenga Talks. Russell Fest. I can't help but what we're going to do. We're going to have an 8-bit entrance. <laughs> And that's all we could do. That's all we're allowed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's all we're budgeted for. Yes. And can <laughs> we very small budget? But in guys. It is me, your host, Deadpool Speaks, and with me, as always, is the Mean Street Knight, the Bartholomew of Bothamness, the amazing and obviously underrated, the middleweight, lightweight, heavyweight champion of the world, the Gotham Sun, the road stage dog, I don't know, <laughs> the amazing roadie Batman. Now, all those names are copyrighted, by the way, so don't go exactly. using those. In anymore. that order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of that's just one large name. There's, there, yeah, it, it is. It is. That's that's the way it works. That's the way it works. So, uh, like I told you, you're, you're here watching uh, Chimmy Jenga Talks Russell Fest. Russell Fest is brought to you by the good folks at Eight uh, Bit Tunes. I guess I don't know. I don't know who they are. <laughs> I just made that up right now. <laughs> it just makes it sound better and more popular. But still, uh, guys. Uh, this is one of our uh, many wrestling uh, podcasts that we're starting off. We're branching off from Jimmy Chang Talk. We're doing the the Russell Fest, uh, right, Roadie Batman? That's right. And that's way to jump in on that. Uh, <laughs> way to be on the trails there of uh, of my collective heat. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about heat. We're talking about generating heat. The one thing that I think uh, is 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 what brings us back uh, to wrestling time and time again. Um, a lot of people go, well, you know, what is heat? So uh, let's we can describe that term. Would you like to describe that term, Roddy Batman? What heat is? Um, heat is when a wrestler can basically turn the entire crowd on a dime and get everybody to, with one simple action or phrase or cheap pop to to get everybody to hate them just like that. Yeah, and, and you mentioned something else. Though. You mentioned cheap pop, which uh, Mick Foley's the king of. But um, the the reverse of it would be cheap heat. But yeah. uh, so so that way they know the difference. Okay, so heat is when they could go ahead and turn the crowd against them. What's a cheap pop? That's uh, when you get that crowd to pretty much every word that you say. Everybody just cheers. Exactly, exactly. Just and simply by going into the crowd and saying like the, "Hey, I'm in this city, yay!" And then everybody cheers for him. And everybody from this city is great, yeah. <laughs> That's a Mick Foley cheap pop. <laughs> He's talking about me. 
<laughs> and and you know that's 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 one thing I think that's really important here, and uh, one thing that we're going to touch about is is the flip side of that that coin that because uh, you know everybody loves to feel good about themselves, everybody loves a pat on the back. But what keeps the audience coming back time and time again is being able to generate that heat where you want to go ahead and see just this the, the world's biggest asshole get his comeuppance. Am, am I not right? Oh, absolutely. It's it's the best when you really hate, hate, hate a person, and then all of a sudden they finally get, like, punched in the mouth. <laughs> and, and you know, the thing is, uh, I think uh, Jim Cornette said it best. He was... Um, he was talking uh, on on one of his his many podcasts and things like that. Uh, he mentioned that you know being able to generate really good heat does this. Uh, does you get that ability to um, get the crowd behind you so, that they hate you so much that they want to see you um, get you know that that basically get get your comeuppance right. And and not only that, but he said that. If you ever look at the way um, really good heel wrestlers work, right? Because there's people that work the match. They know how to make the faces and stuff like that. But then there's the exaggerated work, right? Like uh, Ric Flair's work, you know? Uh, That only works for heels. Like you don't see a lot of baby faces doing those exaggerated moves because it it doesn't work for them. Because when you generate enough heat and suddenly they're, they're doing the comeback, right? The baby face is coming back, and he's he's just like, you know, after after being having the snot beaten out of him uh, through the whole match, he certainly starts coming back. Um, and and you know, Ric Flair, um, Shawn Michaels, the, the the turnbuckle bump, which is an exaggerated version when you you take that hit and you go flying over the turnbuckle, you know. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Those, you see those those are the type of moves, and they're 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 a little bit more cartoony, but only like a, a really good heel can get away with that. And, and still get, you know, generate the pop and stuff like that. And even even back in the 70s and 80s, when wrestling was more um, more groundwork-based, you know, there weren't the crazy, mm-hmm. the crazy spots or anything like that. Um, you, you had that. You had that, that build. And, and when they did the kind of the over-exaggerated moves, um, when they were locked in the submission hold and you see their faces and they're, like, just grabbing their hair and they're screaming up to the, you know, the top of their lungs – that's what a good heel did because there was so much heat generated on that moment that the crowd was finally getting, you know, their, their happy ending to say the least. So, <laughs> but, um, let, let's talk about kind of like what kicked off the show. So there's, there's been something really interesting that's been happening in the news lately and it has to do with, uh, Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch. Um, now do you, do you want to kind of, do you want to catch us up to speed with this, or? Well, uh, for the most part, what um, it seems like they're doing is they're trying to do a shoot uh, per se, uh, where if you don't know what a shoot is, a shoot is where supposedly the wrestler gets as real as possible and says things that they're not supposed to say or not, and it seems like they're they're trying to do a shoot without doing a shoot. But but basically, what they're doing is Ronda Rousey is talking about how wrestling is fake, how she, I mean, and she came into wrestling. Well, we, we have that, that sound clip. We have that oh, sound okay. clip. But let's, let's, let's do this. Talk to everything leading up to that sound clip. Um, well, I mean, it was almost kind of like a spin because originally uh, Becky Lynch was supposed to be the heel and Ronda Rousey was the, the, the face, but it, 
as what happens and it's happened in the past, you know, that who WWE wants to be the face isn't always the face, you know. Mm-hmm. Fans nowadays are they're all about actually the technical wrestling, the more entertaining wrestler, not just who WWE or wrestling wants to shove down your throat. So, you know, Ronda Rousey is, you know, WWE's new baby doll. So, you know, they're trying to shove her down everybody's throat. And, of course, the fans nowadays are much smarter or at least they they're, they can't be fooled if that's a correct term I could use so yeah, easily. Yeah. So, you know, Ronda Rousey is, you know, trying to be trying to be the baby face. But, you know, the fans aren't necessarily buying into it you know and they tried making becky lynch into a heel even though she was a face and everybody loved her and they tried to make her give her a heel turn and it didn't necessarily work the way they wanted it and then she ended up being the fan favorite against charlotte fan Mm -hmm. favorite against ronda rousey and so on and so forth so they're trying to I think they got smart and they're trying to okay we're going to use this and we'll just flip it and Rhonda can, you know, just bust loose and really push that heat on her and, you know, see where it goes. Because I, I think a lot of times they just, you know, throw something out there just to see how the fans react to it. And if they yeah, get a decent enough sticks. reaction, yeah, yeah, if they get a decent enough reaction, they're just like, all right, we're going to go with it now. We're going to go all in. And I think that's what she did. And she did a damn good job when she went all in. Oh, yeah. No, Pun yeah. We're going to go ahead and play that clip here in just a second. But the thing is, what I want you to remember is this. Um, you know, usually face against face doesn't work. Heel against heel is difficult because, um, you know, the crowd doesn't know who to cheer for. It's, it's like, uh, you know, we, we have, we, you have to have that balance. There has to be good and light. There has to be, you know, yin and yang. And the thing is, it, it's true. Like, Rhonda's already said and expressed that she wants to go ahead and take some time off from the WWE because she wants to go ahead and start a family. She wants to go ahead and build a thing. So um, she needs to leave. She needs to drop the belt. She needs to go ahead and do this the right way. But um, the best way, and, and this is, was um, my opinion, because the thing is, when they started pulling this up, and, and, you know, they call things a shoot and a work. So when it's a work, that means that they, they're actually – putting this thing together they're they're you know someone's behind the scenes pulling the strings on this uh it it seems real but it's fake and then when it's a shoot that means that it blurs the lines and they're actually talking about a real issue um you know back in the 90s uh some of the first like instances of this started happening um with certain wrestlers well they were used their real name instead of their stage name to kind of call them out on you know their their bullshit and they would do it on on a platform where not a lot of people knew about it um, like you said, you mentioned, you know, a lot of crowds have gotten smart to it. And, and smart is another term that's uh, used in the business uh, to say that they know that this is all uh, fake. This is all that, you know, they know that this is planned. And then you have the marks. The marks are the people that are completely unaware of what's going on and believe that this is still real. Now, um, back in the days, uh, and I'm talking about like the, the 70s and 80s, a lot of wrestlers would protect kayfabe, which is, you know, that, that kind of that veil that they have, right, the, 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 the fakeness, uh, they would protect it so much that not even their wives, okay, the wrestlers' wives were marks, okay? The security and cops that were protecting the heels, because remember, the whole point is to generate heat. The, the, the whole thing with generating heat is that you'll get these uh, crazy-ass fans, you get these people that will try to attack you because you hurt the people that they love, you know? The, these fans, they're just that, fans, fanatics, okay? 
Um, and so, you know, well, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but I mean, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, with us talking about heat, but I mean, there's wrestlers that have been stabbed before because of their heel turns oh, you know, yeah. because they turned on their favorite wrestler. And, you know, back in those days when it was like wrestling or die, you know, it was, you know, oh, if yeah. you turned on their favorite wrestler, all of a sudden, you, you know, you're getting death threats and flipping cars and all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the thing is, is that's the reason why they had to hire the local police officers. And like I said, most of the police officers were marks, too, because back in the day, the heels didn't dress in the same dressing room, you know. And the thing is, is whenever they planned the matches, they had to have like a liaison between them, which is usually the booking agent, because they can't be in the same, you know, dressing room kind of sharing ideas. Oh, OK, well, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. No, no, no. That's how realistically they took this thing. So let's go ahead and, uh, you know, we'll bring uh, Rhonda on the air here so she could explain her half. Because, uh, uh, Rhonda, <laughs> was it real now? So tonight when you were um, giving your promo and... It wasn't a promo. They gave me other things to say. I didn't fucking say it. Okay. It's a thing. It's not a fucking promo. It's not an act. I'm not going out there and doing their fucking act anymore. They can say it's part of the act and try to save face to everybody else, but it's not an act. I'm going out there, I'm doing whatever the hell I want, and they can explain it away however they want, but fuck them. Everybody, WWE Universe included. I meant that I'm going to disrespect the sport that they all love so much. Oh, don't break kayfabe, Ronda. Wrestling's it's scripted. It's made up. It's not real. None of those bitches can fucking touch me. The end. <laughs> That was, uh, that, those were like some pretty, like, holy shit. That, was, in, that was intense. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and her face kind of just made it that much more intense. And, and the thing is, it, what happened was it worked. It worked so well. There were so pissed many people. Pissed a lot that, of people off. Yeah, pissed a lot of people off. And that's the whole point about generating heat, right? You, you need to go ahead and make people want to watch want to hate you that that was the important thing and uh well, now, how many... now wrestling fans are going to tune in just to watch her get her ass whooped mm-hmm. and how many people like our own personal friends did we see comment on this thing saying that um you know she's a piece of shit uh you know like like i said i had i had a friend who's who's, who's very he's very smart uh he's a journalist Right and everything else, and he fell for it. He's like, "Wow, mm -hmm. you know, this is this is the typical Rhonda, right? That she uh, she basically had the uh, exact same thing. She she did the uh, exact same thing in UFC when she lost. You know, she um, when she she lost in UFC, she was beat like this big old baby. That's what she's like now. Blah blah blah. And I was like, "This is brilliant. This is this is the way you make someone drop a belt. This is the way you make someone walk away from a heat while." Um, you know, basically getting getting Becky Lynch over. Now that she needed, yeah, they're gonna. Every, everybody's gonna hate her so much that if if what everybody thinks, at least what you and I think, you know, what's gonna end up happening is, you know, Becky's gonna beat her in some glorious fashion, and then all of a sudden she's gonna be like the conquering David versus Goliath. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, so I mean, it's they they've done it really well. 
<clears throat> oh yeah, no, no, absolutely. So, and you know, like, and and we started talking about this. We started talking about this generating heat for a while. And uh, uh, James Hallback from uh, one of our um, Facebook friends, because uh, we started talking about, hey, you know, what do you think is is like some some great moments where you can generate a lot of heat? Uh, people that um, you know used to cut these amazing promos and things like that. And uh, one of the first names that came up was the fabulous Freebirds, right? Uh, Michael Hayes and 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 um, uh, Gordy Bam Bam um, and it, 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 this team for a long time had a lot of good matches uh, with the Von Ericks, um, with uh, uh, the Rock and Roll Express, and they were just absolutely hated. And um, you know you you could absolutely see why because it, it's like they they were arrogant, flamboyant, and people wanted to hate them they would run in uh interrupt matches they would constantly be doing things that's basically heelish tactic tactics and so um you know one of the first people that we're gonna look at about as far as generating heat and then we're gonna just kind of run through a lot of these promos because i think a lot of these people are just absolutely fabulous at, at generating great heat uh so we'll start with like the the free bird, the free birds the free birds were fantastic um stupid <laughs> man are you stupid you are gullible you're just plain ignorant. Ain't that the way you put it? <laughs> ignorant. You fall for such a well-planned plot from a bunch of old country bumpkins, huh? We told you. We warned you. Yet you didn't listen, did you? Well, that's what you get for messing with us. You understand, boys? That's what you get for playing with fire. You get burnt. That's what you get for trying to steal a dog's bone out of his own backyard. <laughs> ripping us off of our world six-man title you understand what i'm talking about man i think you do because i think everybody in the world has just been introduced to the hottest thing the boys are back in town with a new thing baby papa got a brand new bag and it's called the bam bam slam <laughs> that's what you just felt that's what that piece of film just showed and you know what the end result was you didn't get up <laughs> you didn't get up. You didn't go nowhere. Cause the bam bam slam put you down, didn't it? That's right. You know, we tell them boys not to come messing with us. You know, messing with us in our own backyard. And they come messing with us. And look what happens. Yeah. Come on and mess with us again if you want to. Come on back to our backyard again. We're here for one thing and one thing only, and we'll go through you or anybody else to get it. And you know what? Funners, you've been number one since we left, so you might as well get used to being number two because the birds are bad. That's <laughs> I don't know why, but I guess most people thought in order, and, and there, there's a few exceptions to every rule. Okay, there's like a Macho Man and, and maybe Bobby Heenan. But most heels, in order to get their point across, they would always yell. <laughs> I don't know if it was... If Gotta it was, accentuate. Accentuate. Just the aggressiveness, you know? I don't know if it was all the cocaine in the, the, the freaking rooms, but uh, they were just hyped up. I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm going to say it really loud, and you're going to listen. That, that's pretty much what it was. That was like 90% of the promo. <laughs> it's like, you don't know, but you feel it. You know, you feel it because we're coming. We're flapping our bird wings. We're winging around. We're going to go wah, wah. And that's like like 90% of the promo is just them talking some bullshit leaning up it's to like, I don't know what the hell you just said, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm for it. It's good. 
Oh yeah, and then and then you know they did receive the biggest booze as they came out, and that's what it was all about. It was just flaunting that, you know. And uh, one of one of one of the greats, and and you know, we, we look at some some of the managers that did this, but um, you know, when you when you when you're thinking about the Freebirds, you're thinking of that time era, and who was also a wrestler himself. I mean, you'd have um, uh, th- this man who was absolutely fantastic. I absolutely love. Uh, the brain, you know, or some people would call him the weasel. Are you fans in this area well aware of the fact that a young man from down in neighboring Milwaukee, a very impressive athlete in the Olympics, I'm talking about Laurent Susie, Bobby Heenan, you've got a big smile on your face tonight. Impressive in the Olympics. Who cares about watching a bunch of children wrestle? Who cares about the Olympics? Oh, it's a great thing for the country, but who cares about Laurent the sissy? That's his name? Laurent Susie. Can you, you imagine... Nine months they had to come up with another name, and that's the best they could do. Laurent. That's the most important thing they could come up with in nine months. Shows you the mentality of his parents. Of course, he went to the University of Wisconsin, right? In Madison. Don't, don't take a whole lot to get in there. I guess you have to be able to, the entrance exam, you have to be able to write your name in three different colors of crayon. I could care less your wrestling ability. I could care about your amateur background. You're in the ring now with a professional. I'm going to go behind that man so much, he's going to think he's stuck in a revolving door. I'm going to take him down, take him around, show him the town. I'm going to reverse neck snap his neck. I'm going to dislocate both his shoulders. Then I might just paintbrush him until my hands are swollen shut. And another good news for you and everybody else. I have signed. I went to Japan in July. I was there the whole month. Where are that? I'm not aware of what you're aware of. I'm aware of my business. I went to Japan in July, and I signed the most lucrative contract for Nick Bockwinkle in the history of professional wrestling for any world's champion. He's going to defend his title in Germany. And he's going to defend his title in Japan, and I pulled it off. That's why I'm manager of the year four times in a row. And high flyers, you can run, but there's no place to hide. You're running like you're running now like rats. The water level's coming up to your bellies, and you got no place to hide. You gotta love. Uh, he's the only person who could make fun of the Olympics, and like get away with it. <laughs> All you gotta do to get into that college is be able to sign your name. And with three different color, different color types of crayons. Uh, <laughs> Bobby Heenan was definitely one of the greats because um, he was he was soft spoken, but he would insult you, but not necessarily. And he'd insult the audience just as well uh, every single time. He didn't have to just insult. Uh, he'd insult anybody. He was an equal opportunity offender. Um, and and he was one of these great people that would generate so much heat that I remember. You remember? It was. Um, Oh man, I can't remember. It, it was a great feud, um, but they, it was, I think it was Brutus the Barber Beefcake had put him to sleep. And they put in a weasel costume on him. Yeah. You remember that? <clears throat> That's when he started being called the weasel, yeah. Yeah. And, and he's and suddenly out of the, he wakes up and he's in this weasel outfit and he's like chasing his tail. And he's, and I mean, <laughs> you know, you obviously know he can get out of the weasel outfit. But he knew how to make the people laugh, you know? He knew how to how to how to generate that other edge of that sword, you know. Because there's some people that want to hate you, and then there's those people that just want to laugh at you, you mm-hmm. know. And he's one of those ones that could always, uh, you know, be be laughed at. And you know, it, it, like I said, he he was one of those greats that kind of pushed it through because he knew how to push buttons. He knew exactly, and he had a like severe, uh, severe wit. What they call is just, uh, you know, he, he knew how to go ahead and kind of push every single button that he possibly could. And, um, you know, an, another person who had the ability to do that, but it's like he did it in a different way. 
was uh All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're just moments away for the World Wrestling Federation Championship match. And with me now, the self-proclaimed million-dollar champion, <laughs> Ted DiBiase. A Always man a who over the years has used his money to bankroll <laughs> some of the cruelest and most outrageous stunts in World Wrestling Federation history. You offered a young boy $100 to bounce a basketball 15 times in a row, only to kick the ball away after the 14th bounce. (laughs) And by not paying off Ted DiBiase, you broke that little boy's heart. You paid a swimming pool attendant several hundred dollars to kick all the kids out of the pool on a sweltering hot summer day, just so you could have that pool all to yourself. But the time that sticks in my mind most, Ted DiBiase, is the time you hired a lookalike imposter referee in an attempt to steal away the World Wrestling Federation Championship, a scheme that almost worked. Fortunately, WWF President Jack Tunney interceded, declaring your name to the title belt to be invalid. Which leads me to wonder, Ted DiBiase, just what do you have up your sleeve tonight? Wealth is what it's all about, Oakland. It's the bottom line. And my wealth runs deeper than just dollars. Because I'm rich in ring prowess, flush with technical skill, and extremely well off when it comes to wrestling ability. Well, you may indeed be a great wrestler, Ted DiBiase, but I can't help but think tonight you're up to something. (laughs) It's not what I'm up to, Oakland. It's what it all comes down to. And what it all comes down to is this. Money isn't everything. It's the only thing. And everyone, everyone has a price for the million-dollar man. (laughs) All right, let's go over to Sean Moon. (laughs) What a great angle he had, man. I absolutely loved his angle because it, 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 it hit... <clears throat> perfectly to everybody because he was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to buy you out. I'm going to buy anything I want. I'm going to go ahead and shove my money in your face. It was it was a really good mix between uh, what Ric Flair had going for him in uh, early uh, you know WCW and WA days when he used to tell everybody how much everything costs on him. Um, and you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna touch upon him pretty soon, but um, it, you know he he was. Not only that, but his his focused that and emphasized it completely. Um, and I left that in with with what Mean Gene said because I thought that was that was a great lead up. Because I remember that. Do you remember that that WrestleMania the the the, the ball the the basketball thing? No, I don't. Oh man, it was so good. The kid was almost there, and the whole crowd was counting and everything. And then he kicks the ball while the kid's bouncing it <laughs> when he was like at number twelve. Because he was like, I'll give you this. But he pulled this kid, and you could tell this kid was not. Uh, this kid was an obvious mark, you know. I mean, he yeah. he had no clue, and he was like, I could do this, you know. And everybody was all clapping for him and counting along. And at the last minute, he just kicks the damn ball. <laughs> I think he was like at fourteen, and he just kicked it. He's like, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, he did it. He was one of the best when it came to it. Um, I was actually excited when uh, his son, or yeah. his supposed son, you know, I think it's his real son. But yeah, no, when, no, uh, it's his real son. It's yeah. his real son. When he actually came into the picture, and I was like, all right, you know, he's a pretty talented dude or whatever. You know, he's playing the heat role. And then he started doing, he even brought the million-dollar belt back and everything. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you know, it's going to be the new generation million-dollar man, and you know. I'm okay with that type of recycled gimmick because it worked the first time and it, you know, it's, you know, it may be, you know, an, an exact copy, but you know, it, it was going to be interesting because I'm sure they would do something new with it that I hadn't seen before, but then he disappeared. So, well, you gotta, you gotta there remember though, you gotta remember though, 
it's it's because um, he was Ted DiBiase also, Ted DiBiase Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have to remember this is that most of the gimmicks are recycled in some shape, way, or form. Um, oh, yeah. You had uh, you know um, Jesse the Body Ventura, who was copied. Um, he was a co- uh, copy of um, oh, what's his face now? Jeez, I now I'm like having a uh, a brain fart here. Um, <sighs> Superstar Billy Graham. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like uh, kind of a copy of um, uh, the Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant, right? All these – he kind of like took little pieces of everything kind of built his gimmick. Uh, Ravishing Rick Rude um, had little pieces of uh, like um, – uh, what is this? Uh, the, the Nature Boy, Buddy, um, Buddy Rogers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean they, they all kind of built gimmicks off of each other, you know? Because, I mean, there, there wasn't um, – and I mean, they're they're all kind of like off the same thing, like like MVP, right? Montavious uh, Porter, right? Um, he's kind of like a million dollar man, but a sports million dollar man. Or that's true. Or you that. have um, uh, this guy. Uh, oh, geez, you see, I'm, I'm I always have brain farts with these damn names. Um, <laughs> that's uh, what happens when you come up with stuff on the fly. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, the, the the Mexican guy, Alberto Alberto Del Rios, right? He was pretty yeah. much uh, also kind of like a, a, a Ted DiBiase, you know. That's true. That's true. Um, but you want you want like the muscular Ted DiBiase, the the kind of like um, boorish heel. You got JBL when he was the businessman JBL. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, you you have these. Look at you with all the correlations. Well, yeah, <laughs> I connect the dots. I did it for the Rock. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you know i mean you speak of the, of the man who had like uh, the most impressive kind of like i'm better than you gimmick who always knew how to talk about himself i mean you couldn't you could not uh you know not mention this guy uh which you know obviously he he knew what to say to anyone even when mr blanchard and mr arn anderson and the world heavyweight champion himself the nature boy rich blair god tony Shavani. How many women have you looked at? Come back when you go, oh baby! Huh? How many 17-year-old girls approach the world champion every day? And I have to say because I'm a man. Come back when you grow up, girl. Well, look at <laughs> Some people think I almost lost it yesterday. The word is around the country that maybe... You're getting under my skin. Here I am in a suit that costs more than your house. And I'm talking to you, so you keep your mouth shut. And I'm out here telling and preaching the word of what makes this sport go round and round. That is authority. That's guts. That's determination. And that is drive. And most of all, that is no fear of the unknown. And you know what the unknown is? The unknown (laughs) is walking down that aisle after you've told the world that you're either going to be the next world champion, hypothetically, or you're going to be the next world tag team champion, hypothetically, or worse than that, that you're only Anderson, Dusty Rhodes, and Lugan, and you've told the world you're going to beat 
the four horsemen. <laughs> that is insanity. You want me to do it again? Huh? You want me to do it again? Well, I'll tell you what. Be in the army next Sunday, and I'll do it again. Only I'll do it with you, Logan, because inside my heart and inside my soul, I want you to pay the price for thinking you're me. I want you, Sting, wherever it is, to pay the price for thinking you're me. And I want the world to know that what I say really is gold. You can put it in the bank. You can learn to live by it. Because you know what? <laughs> Thank you, JJ. I'm planning on being here for a long time with the horsemen. <laughs> it's like he, he was like so out of breath he was so into this you know and it's it's funny because remember i told you they either yell or they like you know and, then, and that's one of the things that i think it's great um not only did he show you you know hey i'm better than you hey i have these thousand dollar shoes and this you know multi-thousand dollar watch you know, and then you shut up. <laughs> He's like right there at the audience. You shut up. And then the fact that he right was like, yeah, and I love it. Right, right. The first thing he says is like, I have to tell these young ladies, you come back when you're older because they want a piece <laughs> of me. These 17 year olds. <clears throat> I was like, wow, here he is kind of being creepo, you know, but yeah. yet use that to say, oh, you know, this is you, Lex Luger. You come back when you're older. <laughs> when when you know you're actually up to the challenge um <laughs> it's just he had a way with not only words but with the way he gets exaggerated he gets so into it um you know his voice starts to crack but nobody cared you know it's, it's just like, shows the showed his intensity it, exactly like you know who's a, who's a great example of this and this is why i put this man right after this one uh, uh roddy piper I don't know if you remember any Roddy Piper promos, but he would take these long breaths. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of show you this right now because Roddy Piper, uh, and and this was um, this was when he was like he, he was uh, I can't remember if he, if he was a, a heel or a face, but I mean either way he would kind of play the same promo the same way. He was kind of an in betweener, anyways. Yeah, but <clears throat> uh, listen to this, Ric Flair, huh? the real. World's heavyweight wrestling champion. Must be a little tiny, itsy, itsy world you come from with a munchkin suited and dots and hounds that don't bark. Cause you've been doing enough barking for them all. See me, I'm real plain and simple and direct. They call me Hot Rod. Everybody knows it. I don't have to say what I am, cause I that's the difference between you and me. You talk about it, I do it. Oh, you want to come out in the frilly robes? You're so cute. Of course, I come out in a kilt. Someone says I'm cute and I bury my fist down their throat. You want to have a party? You want to see how tough you are? Come on down. The water's fine, but it's up to here. <laughs> <laughs> Someone says I'm cute. I shove my fist right down their throat. 
Friggin' emphysema. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold on, my COPD. <laughs> yeah. He was insanely intense, man. And uh, the thing is, he'd always play that character, even uh, even when he, he first started. Because um, the thing is, hearing Roddy Piper's backstory is absolutely amazing, and it would be like a great conversation for another time. But, oh, geez, man, I swear. he He had... Um, like I told you, one of, one of the greatest backstories ever that was just like, oh man, this guy. Um, and it, it, it's like, he, like I said, he, he always, he always kept that. He always, um, it was always there as, as that thing, you know? Um, okay. let's see here. Give me just a second. Now this next one, which, uh, like I said, I, I want to kind of just, uh, point this out cause I, I absolutely love this here. Hold on. Um, is <laughs> the Macho Man? Because you talk about like different types of promos that you have. You talk about that was just uh, so awkward right there on the <laughs> Twitch channel. You had Macho Man mine. It's like all of a sudden Roddy Piper's got arms. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, that's what happens when you kind of. Uh, it normally never happens to me, but every once in a while, you, you usually got that uh, that moment that comes a little bit early. But still. Um, <laughs> the Macho Man. WrestleMania 3 at the Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan. It's a day that I'm certain my guests at this time will not forget. I'm talking about the former Intercontinental Champion of the World, Macho Man nothing Randy. Means nothing means nothing. Nothing means nothing. Man. Nothing means nothing. What do you mean by that? Or I'm talking about all the way to the top. Yeah. Unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in. But the cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. Macho Madness, yeah, has got more to offer than President Jack Tunney thinks that I got. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you something right now. Cards stacked against the Macho Man Randy Savage in WrestleMania 3. Yeah, let me say it. Yeah, let me say it out. Well, and let me point to the president of the World Wrestling Federation. The Macho Man Randy Savage is not happy with your decision. Yeah. I am the cream in the World Wrestling Federation. Wait, wait a minute, and there is no doubt about it. Yeah, you mean Gene Okerlund. You know that I'm the cream of the crop. Oh, wait, wait a minute, though, Randy. I've got to ask you very seriously. Do you blame Mr. Jack Tunney, the distinguished president of the World Wrestling Federation, for Ricky Steamboat being the Intercontinental Champion today? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Outside interference. Yeah. In my moment of glory. Yeah, no, I'm living in a nightmare. And I ain't cream. And now, not only the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship belt must fall, but the World Heavyweight Championship belt. Because Hulk Hogan, yeah. I am the cream, yeah, the cream of the crop, and there is no one that does it better than the Macho Man Randy Savage. On balance, off balance, doesn't matter, I'm better than you are, yeah, and I'm talking to everyone in the World Wrestling Federation, and I'm even talking... President Jack Tunney, yeah, I'm on my way, and nothing is going to stop me, nothing's going to stop me. You know, just out of curiosity, Randy, and I certainly don't want to diminish your tremendous uh, God-given talents, but, but I'm very curious, I haven't seen Elizabeth lately. Yeah, she's on the outside of the ring, does she interfere in matches? Yeah, nothing, zero, yeah, pure athlete, yeah, and I've been, uh, yeah, maligned from the top to the bottom and cause they can't handle the macho man Randy Savage the cream of the crop nobody does it better 
You notice how he didn't answer that question? <laughs> it's just beat around the bush. Yeah, she doesn't interfere. Yeah, cream of the crop went from the bottom race to the top. <laughs> what did you even just say? Yeah, he was he was another one that was just fantastic. His um, his ability to build heat had a lot to do with the way he, I guess, tried to maintain control in the ring. And he used Elizabeth uh, quite a bit. And then Sherry afterwards, the sensational Sherry, um, he was like uh, the, what is it, the uh, masochistic uh, boyfriend, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, he he, yeah. He'll show her how to get down the ropes, but then he'll like push her in the corner and yell at her and stuff like that. And that's how he would generate heat, you know, because he wasn't he wouldn't do a lot of heelish tactics. I mean, occasionally he'll get the ring bell or something like that when he wants to desperately win. But he wanted to prove how much dominance he could assert. So you wouldn't see him using a lot of heel tactics. But he would develop heat from pushing other people around, specifically women. You know, so he was he One was for a domestic real... violence. Yeah, hey, <laughs> he was he was he was a real interesting character, and, and like I said, um, ever since the beginning, he's he's had um, valets with him. You know, um, even before he started, um, well, he he developed the Macho Man gimmick uh, right off, you know, from almost from the start. Because uh, he, he got the, the nickname Macho Man early on uh, when he used to work for his dad's company, you know, uh, along with his brother, uh, Lanny Poffo, the genius. And um, uh, he, he started with his valet and stuff like that. But then when he went uh, to the WWF at the time, um, that's when, you know, he decided to bring in his real life girlfriend, Elizabeth, and everything else. And she was a different type of valet because she wouldn't interfere in the match. She would just be there to kind of showcase him, you know. Um, I can't. He would, yeah, yeah, exactly. While other people would kind of like um, be, you know, like like Rick Rude and stuff like that, point out people in the audience and stuff like that. People kind of respected Randy and all this other stuff because of Miss Elizabeth, because Miss she he was he was like um, like uh, the letterboard for Vanna White. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, even though that letterboard was important, Vanna White was as equally important turning the letters over. So uh, that's that's what the Macho Man was now. You know, to look on a flip side of things, of people who are like equal opportunity offenders for everybody, and I think he's he's actually one of the one of the best um, flip floppers. He could be both a heel, he could be a face, and he could insult uh, either the the company or the fans. Uh, one of my favorites was absolutely, and he could generate heat no matter where he went, no matter what he was doing. Uh, was you know Chris Jericho, um, and it's hard to pick. Yeah. It's obvious that I'm surrounded by neophytes in this ring, surrounded by neophytes in this entire arena. But all of you need to quiet down because the true best in the world at everything I do is about to enunciate. You want facts? Here's a fact. There isn't a human being who's been in more Elimination Chamber matches on this planet than me. There isn't a human being that's eliminated more superstars in the chamber than me. The last time I was in a chamber match, I walked out the world heavyweight champion. 
I mean, seriously, let, let's be honest here. My list of accomplishments in my career outweighs the list of accomplishments of you five wannabes incorporated completely. I am here. All five of you are here. And that brings me to you, punk. Look at me when I'm talking to you, boy. <laughs> All right, punk, you might as well give me that world title right now because your master has come to reclaim what is his. Do you understand what I am saying to you right now? He, he knew how to push the crowd. He knew what to say, when to say it, and to whom to say it to. Uh, he knew when to He's push actually it. one of my favorite heel turns. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, cuz um it, he always had the best. He always he always knew exactly how to play the crowd and and uh you know, that's that's why he's he's always been quoted as as one of the best in, in doing what he does. And I mean, he can he can pull both ends. He could he could burn that candle on both ends, you know. Uh and still have plenty of candle left even though he hit the middle. He's he's absolutely amazing. Well, he's one of those guys that can always uh, – he can come back and he starts off as a face because everybody loves him. So he comes back and he starts as a face, and every time he comes back, he can do a heel turn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, like I think another person I try to think of that, that has had uh, tons of heel turns and interesting heel turns at that because they always start off as a face and then just shift – into like and, and they do it the the in the most heartbreaking way. It's like some some people like will punch you in the arm or punch you in the chest. Occasionally you get a slap in the face. He always kicks you in the balls. I mean, he's <laughs> just it's always. And uh that's uh that's Shawn Michaels. And uh I I'm actually I, I love this particular promo uh just because of where it's at and what he says. Cuz uh it's it's absolutely classic. Who's your daddy, Montreal? With one second. <laughs> yep, you screwed Brett. Respectful to me, I would like to return in kind. Me, 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 me. Oh, Canada, how I hate this place. Face. 
that was such a great thing and it was it was very simple and this was years years after um the the whole Montreal screw job thing and people to this day if Shawn Michaels shows up there they always chant you screwed Brett over and over again um and you know it, one of the most controversial men in the business because of the politics involved um because of his attitude with the belt because of everything that he's done um you know started really young uh you know in his teens he started wrestling um made television appearances and then you know with the rockers one of his most glorious heel turns which is uh you know the marty Janetti uh kick through the barbershop window <laughs> oh yeah um you know how, how many countless turns has he had since then uh, he played both the face and the heel really well. Um, he knew how to go ahead and uh, sell a great match. He knew how to oversell the heel. But he also knew how to poke fun at the audience when they needed to. Uh, he knew what buttons to push. And uh, he, was, he, was, he was one of one of the greats. But he, like I said, he played both ends of the field. You know? And then you have a man who's never played the the good side <laughs> i think rarely maybe once in a blue moon because you just had to hate the other guy more and it's very hard to hate somebody more uh than this person because this person pride himself on on being the heel that you want to hate um and he had one of the greatest tag teams to do it with uh and this was uh jim Cornette. jim Cornette, in my opinion was one of the greatest heel managers um that there ever was because of his quick wit because of his constant feedback and i mean it's stuff like this and this is just a small sample of what he can do very quickly with a very short amount of time and dusty rose also said that his sister could whip me on any street in america well let me tell you something dusty rose i've heard a lot about your sister i know she's been on a lot of streets so she knows them real well as a matter of fact they used to call dusty's sister federal express did you know that when she went out on a date, she absolutely positively had to be there overnight. But I want to talk about Dusty's whole family. I want to talk about his drunken old daddy. Down there in Austin, Texas, every Saturday night, Dusty Rose's father would go in the worst low-class redneck saloon in Austin, Texas, and there would be fighting, there would be swearing, there would be cussing, and a lot of hard drinking. And finally, he'd be able to drag Dusty's mother out of there. But you know something about Dusty's daddy? He was a successful businessman. As a matter of fact, before he was a plumber, he owned a shoe store. He owned a shoe store down there in Austin, Texas, and he did so good at it that to this day, every time the city of Austin, Texas thinks of black loafers, they think of Dusty's father. But let me tell you something, Dusty Rhodes, and I want you to listen real good. Black loafers. The Cornette family has long been regarded not only in Louisville, Kentucky, but all over the country, all over the world, as one of the finest families ever in this country. Beautiful Bobby, sweet Sam, they come from money, they come from power, they come from movers and shakers, they come from the upper crust. We are not riffraff, we're not rednecks, we're not farmers, and we're not plumber sons like you. So don't you ever, ever dare make comments about the Cornette family, because brother, let me tell you something, we're going to take that into consideration. Just remember, your daddy spent his whole life in other people's toilets, and while he was out there with that plumber's helper, Every delivery boy and out of work bum in Austin, Texas knew the color of your mama's bedroom. You remember that. <laughs> More after this timeout, fans. <laughs> How many your Him. mama jokes were in there? Yeah, I know. <laughs> the fact that your dad went into the saloon every Saturday night, 
you know, with all the drinking and the cussing and everything else. And when he finally was able to pull your mama out of there <laughs> and the whole FedEx joke with his, with his, uh, his sister, uh, positively had to stay overnight. Uh, <laughs> he, he was, he was one of the, he was one of the greats that, uh, he could make anything into a sexual innuendo. Um, you know, even when, even when, like, he would cross the lines of, well, he'd almost cross the lines of a lot of television. Um, but it would be okay because of the way he would say it. Because the innuendo was there, anybody who's, you know, 10 and older would be able to guess exactly what the hell he meant. Mm-hmm. But still, he could push it on by. And that was one of the great things about Jim Cornette, is not only would he get involved in the matches, not only will, you know, him and his famous tennis racket and everything else, but he was the mouthpiece, you know, uh, for all these things. And he, he would always flaunt his money. Mama Cornette's, you know, bankroll this or, you know, give me money to buy this out or I'm going to put this contract out there, uh, you know. And, and he played the, the, the heel manager and the coward manager perfectly well because uh, he would run. You know, he'd get beat up by, like, Baby Doll and stuff like that. Uh, Jim Cornette's one of those people that, um, he, he eventually started wearing a protective vest and he, they had to escort him in the midnight express, uh, out, uh, you know, tons of times. Um, he says that there were points where the, the crowd would have, um, like squirt guns, uh, with like Drano in there and try to squirt him in the eyes as they would pass by. Um, <laughs> basically that's, that's how bad it got that they would have to, uh, run and leave the auditorium where they were in and just, you know, get the hell out of Dodge. Uh, cause it was, it was that bad. They would generate that much heat, but that was part of it. You know, that was, that was part of the, the kind of, I mean, he's had quite a few lawsuits, uh, from, you know, being attacked by fans and then them attacking them back, you know? Um, so it, it's, it's one of those things about, you know, generating heat. Uh, Harley race also Harley race has been stabbed multiple times, uh, in parking lots, uh, because of that. You know, it's, it's, it's scary. And, and he says, he admitted, he's, he's admitted to being saying that, you know, this is, this is really scary shit. When you generate that much heat that people want to kill you. Uh, yeah, Larry Zabisco was stabbed. They flipped his mm-hmm. cab, all sorts of stuff just because he turned on Bruno San Martino. Yep. <clears throat> and Bruno, who was a champion for what, uh, decades. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, and the thing is that, that that was the 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 big the big thing for them um that these heels they they want to push the buttons they want to go ahead and generate that heat because that's what's going to keep filling those seats that's what's going to keep people coming back and watching more and more um now with that being said in your opinion what do you think are like the three best uh like heat generating moments in, in wrestling for you um just at least three of the most memorable for me. Um, now, if I if I went back in history and rewatched everything, I might change my mind. But um, the three that I remember the most, like I said earlier, Jericho. Um, Jericho and HBK had a feud going for a while, and Jericho always looked up to HBK, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Jericho at one point had a uh, – he was a, a special guest referee in one of HBK's matches. And I, I'll be honest with you, I can't even remember who HBK was fighting. But uh, 
HBK had feigned a um, injury, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> he had he had faked the injury, and Jericho, I believe, bought into it, and then after the fact, um, HBK stood up like it was nothing, super kicked uh, his opponent in the face, and ended up beating him. And Jericho walked out with HBK, and he kind of was like, okay, what the hell just happened? And I tell you that part of the story because later on when he's interviewing him in the ring, um, uh, what was his call, show called? Um, Jericho's show. I can't remember what it is. He, everybody had their own TV show in the, yeah. in the ring or whatnot. But anyways, um, he was so upset over what it HBK had done, he finally just snapped and he threw him face first into the Geratron. And, you know, that's when HBK, I think he actually took a little time off afterwards because he supposedly, they tried to feign a, uh, an eye injury and this and that. So, but for me, because I was such a big HBK and Jericho fan that when that happened, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, they're best friends now. And all of a sudden, bam, he throws him through the freaking Geratron. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was, it was a, pretty surreal moment when it happened um as far as uh the other two um and i probably was a bigger wcw fan than i was a wwe fan during the monday night war and before um so and i don't know what it was i mean i watched a lot of wwf but i i always seemed to kind of lean towards wcw and so I was watching WCW, the pay-per-view, when Hogan came out. And it was right after, obviously, the Outsiders were coming in. You know, Nash and Hall were moving in. And, you know, obviously, and, you know, it's everybody can say, you know, throw that one out there. But for me, it was like, okay, you know, I knew Hogan's coming down. I'm like, I, I was a mark at that point. You know, I, I started off as a mark just like everybody else did. Yeah. And when he come running down, like I got goosebumps. I'm like, oh man, here comes Hogan. And then boom, he drops the leg on freaking Macho Man. And it's like, whoa, like it was just like just everything stopped and you know, you know I'm watching the show but it's silence you know it's yeah. what the hell just happened and then of course people throwing stuff into the ring I'm like to me that was when I look back at it now that was just the epitome of wrestling right there you had that's why everybody wants John Cena to do it and he's never done it and I think the only way he'll recreate his career is if he does do it but anyways that's another conversation <laughs> but and then as far as the other one, it wasn't so much of a heel turn as it was a masterful swap um, where you go into the match and you have one wrestler's the face, one wrestler's the heel. And by the time the match is done, it's a total flop. Yeah. You know, your baby face comes out the heel and your heel comes out the baby face. And that was Stone Cold and Bret Hart. And <laughs> you know, it was it's, the match... It's funny that you mentioned that. I was at WrestleMania 13, right? Mm, yeah. Adam, Adam Wright from from uh, one of our Facebook fans actually mentioned that one as one uh, that he was so pissed with Brett after what had happened there. Mm, I mean, he just left Stone Cold. I mean, Stone Cold never tapped out, you know. But it was that moment that you, if you watch wrestling during the Attitude Era, you remember seeing Stone Cold's bloody face oh, at yeah. the end of that match and. You know, just and 
to be able to go into a match and you have such good performers that you go into the match as one's a face, one's a heel. And by the time, you know, 30 minutes to an hour later, all of a sudden it's like, you know, granted you have to have the right crowd, you know, but to be able to go in there and be like, oh, everybody loves me. And by the end of it, it's like, oh, I hate you. I hate you. And it's like, how do you do that? It's like it's well, just like everything it, switched on a dime. And you know what it was? I, I think I think there was a lot of there was a lot of um, there was a lot of because everybody loves Stone Cold for his rebellious attitude, but everybody still loved Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. But what wound up happening is that Bret became like a big baby, and because at the end he wasn't satisfied, it wasn't like oh you know he passed out. Everything. No, he wanted more, so he started beating on him, and that's where the turn was. Mm-hmm. That was the masterful turn. Because if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't started to beat on him after the fact, okay, none of that would have happened. That heel turn wouldn't have been there. Because yeah, he became the sore loser even though he won. <laughs> bingo. That's it. And it wasn't because in his mind he thought, well, I should have won with a clean thing. He shouldn't have passed out. I could have kept on going. Why couldn't he? You know, and it's almost like we're kind of feeling sorry for him. You know, and mm-hmm. and the thing is, what's funny is that because um, Adam Wright also mentioned that one of his big things also had to do with uh, Bret Hart as as well, and and the HBK. You know, obviously the Montreal Screwjob, which you know we point fingers at there. And I mean, there was a lot. There yeah. was a lot to do there, um, because you know Bret was going out, all that other stuff. They didn't know how to drop the belt, and it was handled very poorly. Uh, but it all fell back on on Michaels and everything else. But um, you know, it, it's one of those things where uh, it, it was so out of the blue, you know. And you wanted to hate HBK. There are points where you want to love him. There's points where you want to hate him. Uh, things that he does, you know. And uh, Bret Hart, after that moment, then he started picking on the crowd. Then he started becoming an elitist, and that's a great way to draw heat, you know. Um, and, and I, well, I absolutely, uh, agree with him. And, you know, it's like, uh, he was also mentioning, um, Adam Wright also mentioned something about, um, the, the monopoly, the McMahons buying out all the different things and how, how that drew a lot of heat. One of the, one of oh, the things yeah. that I didn't mention here, which was so cleanly obvious for pulling heat all the time would be Vince, uh, Vince and his kids, man, they, they, but that's what they were meant to do. You know, I, I think, um, it was after the Montreal screw job that we started seeing Vince on the, on the show a lot more because he started to realize that, um, he, he would be one of the draws. Cause if you think about it, it wasn't necessarily stone cold or the rock or the things that kept people coming back. It's the fact that Vince was the big bad boss mm-hmm. that was screwing everybody over and everybody wanted to see Vince get his comeuppance, but Vince had built such a, a great crew of lackeys. So basically you had Bruce Lee trying to climb, you know, this, this immense, this dojo having to go through all these different uh, people to try to get to the big bad boss, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's one of those most defining moments, which that for me um, ranks as one of my top three for, for, for generating heat. Vince McMahon and his kids, not, not the whiny stuff, but, more like, uh, oh, you know what? Well, I'm going to go ahead and change the stipulation on you. Well, you lost this. We're going to go ahead and do this. Those moments, you know, and then the, you have the block. Well, it's just like right now. He's doing it right now with uh, Kofi yeah. Kingston. Yeah, he's because the thing is, 
and and you know it's because there's a lot of people behind Kofi. You know, there's a lot. Of, there were a lot of people behind Austin. So what he's trying to do is, yes, he's trying to go ahead and kind of you know reinvigorate this this gimmick that they had before, and uh, he's trying to go ahead and play heel now again. Um, which you know, like I said, it, it's kind of understandable. Drawing heat is what draws seats. It's what fills arenas. You know, it's what keeps ratings high. Because, um, and, and this is one of the things that I, I know that we haven't touched a lot upon, but it's something that's going to be an issue coming up pretty soon. Um, uh, AEW, uh, the, what they, the, what they want to do is they don't want to necessarily have writers. They want to have uh, bookers. They want to do like the dusty booking system. And, and back in the day, um, they didn't have writers. They had bookers. The bookers would go to the wrestlers and say, okay, listen, you're, you're going to go you're going ahead and doing this. Uh, this is going to be your finisher. They're going to win. Okay, you guys kind of build up on the stuff for that. Um, you're going to go ahead and wrestle him, and this is what's going to be the, the story that's going to push on. So they, they 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 booked smart in order to go ahead and keep the people coming back and back because it, back in the days when you had territories, you had one TV taping, and then they would go from town to town to town to town, and the the thing they didn't have the internet, you know, so they had to kind of wrestle several matches through and through, and then kind of figure out what worked and what didn't. Now. Um, Building heat was real easy because you'd be able to build heat in one town and then, uh, you know, kind of leave the story hanging and see how it works somewhere else and then come back and finish the storyline. You know, that's the thing with with TV. That's the way it should work. Any good TV show will always leave you on a cliffhanger or will leave you at a point where you want to come back and watch more. You know, um, any kind of drama will have to do this. This is how uh, they keep the, the people tuned in. A season finale is meant to be the huge culminating kind of like, you know, WTF moment that brings everybody back. Okay? That's that's what that is. That's what WrestleMania is. WrestleMania is that big comeback moment, right? Um, WrestleMania is the season finale. And then you start, you know, the go-home show, right? You start all this other stuff. You, uh, you start the season over again. You start the storylines over again. You start building things up. The biggest problem that they had is that there, there, there was not enough heat generation to go ahead and keep people coming back for more. There isn't. Because, and they say, well, you know, the storylines are weak and stuff like that. But it's not that the storylines are weak. There's, there's nothing that we want to hate. There's be beyond the whole show itself, you know, and the way that the, the wrestlers are being booked and pushed and all that stuff. So this is something that I want you to kind of sit back and consider, right? When you're thinking about heat, Right, what kind of heat would be the best heat to keep you in your seat? You know, what can the wrestler do? Like, is it what Ronda Rousey's doing right now? You know, being able to blur those lines, being able to um, make you feel stupid, make you feel angry, because when you bring emotion into it, that's when you're solid. What do you think? Um, well, I, I think what she's doing and what they're trying to do is nowadays, because like we talked in the last podcast, you know, the, the KFAP's kind of gone. So they've got to make it real for the, the viewer now. So this, you know, it you've got some of the older fans that are still watching, obviously, that are like, OK, you know, she's spitting on, you know, I've I've lived my entire life watching wrestling and you're spitting in my face for being a fan now. It's like, you know, 
you may be a WWE fan and a UFC fan, but you know, you, you know the difference, but you still watch it for the entertainment, you know, and you go into it not knowing what's going to happen. You know, it's like a man's soap opera. It really is. You know, it's, you, you go into it not know it's going to happen, but, you know, true fans kind of, like, see where it's going and, you know, can figure out how they're trying to do it or whatnot. But, you know, it, if they can get one over on you. But in, in this case, like, she, you just have to be real now. And I think that's what they're trying to do. They're, they're not trying to be um, – they're not trying to be real gimmicky with it. You know, they're just like, oh, he's going to, you know – cuss out the fans and say how stupid you are. And then she's going to go in there trying to kick some ass. And then, well, you know, hopefully, you know what, it, well, you know what it boils down to. And, and this is the exactly perfect analogy that I can use for this. And, and I want everybody to kind of take this as, as a go home thing, right? As, as we're, we're going to go ahead and, and, and kind of leave it at this. Look, it's, it's the difference between watching a good magic show and watching a bad magic show. Okay, now, even though you're sitting there in the in, in the audience, you know that magic is is an illusion, right? They dangle the carrot in front of you, and it appears to be floating. In reality, we know it's not. We like to know how it happens, but then once you know, it does kind of take some of the magic away. So you sit back and you suspend your disbelief, right? And that's when it's good. When it's good is when you clap your hands and you're like, "How did he do that?" You know. It just disappears. What <laughs> Right? That's when it's good. That's when it's golden. That's when magic is really what it is. Magic. You want wrestling to be magic? Stop trying to figure out how they do all the tricks. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it can't be a shitty magician. You can't be there and go, ta-da, and then have the coins fall from your hands. You know? Or, or, you know, have the carrot kind of just, you know, get sliced by the, the, the invisible string that you're using, which kind of blows the illusion. That's what's happened so often and is continuously happening uh, in the world of wrestling today, right? Well, and I see it a lot when they're trying to shove somebody down your throat, you know. it's And, you know, I know there's a ton of Roman Reigns fans, but, you know, there's almost only so much Roman Reigns you can take. You know, and I know when you've got guys at the time, Daniel Bryan, you know, um, the rated R superstar edge, you know, they when they retire out of the blue and it's like, okay, well, you know, who are we going to fit in there now? And, you know, eventually they just get. But when you keep getting the same wrestler just kind of shoved down your throat, it's like, come on, give me something else. You know, and that's and that's the thing. That's where like the indie promotions and stuff like that. Ring of Honor and these things have have, like really kind of figured out their balances because. They're using all their talents, and they're using them uh, the right way, you know? And and that's one thing that I think is important. It goes back to the whole magic show analogy, right? Um, if if you're used to seeing the same old dumb old tricks over and over again, you'll figure them out, you'll predict them, and there's no reason to come to the magic show anymore, right? The more the magic show changes, the more it evolves and becomes something different, right? Um, then it works. If you don't believe me, look at the circus, right? Now, think about this. Before there was Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, right? One of the biggest circuses that used to tour in the world, right? They would go everywhere. And then, um, you know, the, the whole thing with the animals came out and then they had to pull off their animal show, which was a good percentage of what they used to produce. Uh, you know, the elephants and everything else. So the thing is, instead of changing the way they do things, right? They, they died. 
right? They they basically said, that's it. We're hanging up our hat. Ringlings and Brothers and Marlon ba- Bailey Circus is no more, right? So you can either be Ringlings and Barnum, you know, uh, Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, WWE, or you can go ahead and be these little indie circuses that are constantly changing. Okay, they don't have animals, they don't have anything, but they have acrobatics. They have other things that are there to wow and amaze us, right? You can go that route, constantly be on tour, constantly giving something different, constantly wowing the audience with something that even though um, the tricks don't change the way they're presented is being changed. You change with the times, you alternate, and, and you go ahead and make a product for everybody. I mean, here's my thoughts on this, okay? Keep Raw, right? Keep Raw as your older show. Keep SmackDown as your younger show. You know, yeah. you have a brand splint. I mean, kind of move your characters where you need to. Um, and, you know, and that's one of the things. It's like whenever I see that opening sequence for WWE anymore, it's like, oh, you know, these uh, these commentaries may not be, um, you know, what the WWE as a corporation thinks. These are just characters portrayed by actors, that's what it says. Read it. <laughs> when you when you watch any WWE show, read it. It says these characters that are portrayed by actors. Okay, we're no longer called wrestlers. We're called actors. This is not a wrestling event. This is an entertainment. This is a show. So we are still at the pinnacle kind of head tailspin of Barnum and Bailey WWE Circus, right? Will AEW be able to go ahead and be the little indie circus that could? And will they be around longer? You know, and the thing is, it's, it's not necessarily about money, okay? Because money they have, but they don't need money, you know? The biggest thing is that they're trying to do all these big spots. They think that's what's going to win the audience. It's not big spots. It's heels and, and generating heat, generating that watchability that people want. Because you can have your wrestlers be slammed on on barricades, go through tables and all this other stuff. Let me tell you something. Back in the 70s and 80s, these wrestlers, okay, were working, you know, maybe 300 days a year, going from town to town to town to town, wrestling every night, sometimes two to three times a night, depending on, like, these gauntlet tournaments and everything else, and you didn't have the high turnaround rate of injuries that they do now. Why? Because they think that we need to see high spots. We need to see all this other stuff. But it's not necessarily about the spots they do because they could go ahead and do what they call rest holds, which is, you know, like working the arm or kind of holding the thing where you're kind of in a position where you're kind of catching your breath. But it's about developing the story. It's about developing the feud, about pushing that heat, making sure that you fill the spot. What do you think of that? I I mean, I completely agree. It's just... I'm really hoping that when AEW does finally start rolling that they, you know, I mean, the the fact that they're willing to kind of put the wrestlers forward for me is is fantastic because it, it's not going to be about, I mean, and it may change eventually, but it's not about management, you know, and, and like WWE is like that. And like I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, and for me it's like Jerry Jones, I just wish he'd get out of the way because – it, it, McMahon's the same thing. It's like, okay, turn it over to Triple H already and put yourself out the pasture. You know, I, he's done so many amazing things, but it's like, okay, you know, it's, you know, I know you want to still be out there, but you know, kind of move on and there's, a, and there's only so many iPod events. There's only so many yeah. iPod. Okay, let it go. 
Yeah. So I mean, I'm hoping a. I mean, AEW is going to be fresh regardless. Um, regardless of what they do, everybody's going to be like all in, pun intended, right at the bat. And then you know, but I'm hoping that they do it the right way, and you know, they're able to, like you're saying, generate that heat. And, you know, that way, you know, you you split the lines, you know, you get, you know, the one you want to cheer for and the one you want to hate. And they do it well enough because the guys that are in AEW that they're building this around are they're not like fresh out the box like TNA does, you know. Yeah, they are veterans, whether you've heard of them or not, the young bucks have been around. They're forever. Japanese veterans. They're Japanese yeah. veterans. They're overseas veterans. They're indie Co- veterans. Cody Rhodes. I mean, I'm not sure. What is it going by now? Is he still going by Cody Rhodes? Yeah, he's Cody Rhodes. Okay, all right. All right. I didn't know if he changed his name or yeah, not. But, no, no. Most yeah. of these guys, most of these guys don't need those gimmicks, man. Most of these guys yeah. are sticking by you know the, the the names they kind of bred with. So. He's he's talented in of himself, and then he's. He's played so many roles, roles from dashing to, you know, even the Stardust, Stardust role. He was able to, you know, he got put in that role and he like blew it out of the water, even though it was just so gimmicky and it was a gold dust copy. But I mean, he was able to do it, but it's to, to look at somebody so talented like that, being able to go into this company and then, you know, Jericho and then Kenny Omega and, you know, they're just building such amazing, amazing talent into this company that I'm just hoping that, you know, it doesn't implode on them, you know, and, well, you know, I mean, cause I don't, I don't actually think so. I think they've had enough talent and stuff like that, but, um, Let's go ahead and bring this home. Let's go ahead and kind of write it in. Guys, uh, so we were talking today about generating heat, guys. And look, I'm just going to go ahead and toss this up just so you can see it, just so that way you get a little bit of teaser. We're going to put this out later. But uh, we're thinking about possibly doing a Kickstarter for this shirt. Uh, it's either going to be the Chimichanga Talk or Chimichanga Club shirt. We're not sure which one. We're going to let the audience decide and see which one we're going to go ahead and pick as our next logo design. Guys, it's been a fun time talking to you. Uh, remember, you can go ahead and reach us at facebook.com forward slash Talk, Instagram chimichangatalk, on Twitch chimichangatalk. On Twitter, I'm at Deadpool Speaks. And uh, remember, uh, Eclipse Your Fate Gaming as well, Gaming Cosplay, you can find them on there. Uh, guys, I am Deadpool Speaks, and with me was... Rody Batman. And guys, you've been watching Talk Presents WrestleFest. And... Uh, Where's the audience? We need an audience. Cheap pop, cheap pop. Yeah.